0: what does it mean to say that the Bible is authoritative? We saw in the last episode of Thinking Theology that the Bible is God's words written for his people by his spirit about his son. But what kind of authority does that message carry? If I say to my friends, let's go fishing, they may or may not listen to me. But if a policeman says to me, show me your license, I need to pay attention. But which kind of authority does the Bible have? That's what we're thinking about in this episode of Thinking Theology. What kind of authority does the Bible have? Should we listen to it? Should we listen to all of it, or only some parts of it? And what kind of authority does it have compared to other things? Hi, my name's Carl Dienick. I'm a pastor, theologian, writer, and Bible College lecturer. Welcome to Thinking Theology, A podcast where we think about theology, the Bible, and the Christian life, not just for the sake of it, but so we can love God more with all our heart, soul, mind, and strength. What does the Bible tell us about its own authority? One of the most extraordinary statements about God speaking to us comes in the first few verses of the New Testament book of Hebrews. Hebrews begins with these profound words. In the past, God spoke to our ancestors through the prophets at many times and in various ways. But in these last days, he has spoken to us by his son. God had spoken in the Old Testament through the prophets, but now he's spoken through his son, Jesus Christ. And the rest of the first chapter of Hebrews goes on to spell out who this Jesus is, who is speaking to us. Verse 5 tells us that he is the Son of God. Verse 6 tells us that he is worshipped by the angels because he is God. Verse 8 tells us that his throne lasts forever and ever and that he loves righteousness and hates wickedness. Verse 10 tells us that he laid the foundations of the earth and created the stars and the universe. And verse 13 tells us that he will conquer his enemies. why is it important to know that God has spoken to us in his Son? And the answer or the application of the theology of chapter 1 comes at the beginning of chapter 2. It says, We must pay most careful attention, therefore, to what we have heard, so that we don't drift away. Because, for, since the message spoken through angels was binding, and every violation and disobedience received its just punishment, how shall we escape if we ignore so great a salvation? Why is it important to know that God has spoken through his Son? It's important because it means that we need to listen. The writer of the Old Testament says, look, if the Old Testament message had and still has a binding authority because those words in the Old Testament were the very words of God, those words that were delivered through angels or delivered through messengers to God's people." If those words carried the kind of authority such that disobedience to that message was punished, if those words had that authority, then how much more do the words that have come through God's own Son have a greater authority? If not listening to the Old Testament was a disaster, then not listening to the full revelation of God in Jesus in the New Testament is an even greater disaster. Jesus himself says in Matthew chapter 7, Therefore everyone who hears these words of mine and puts them into practice is like a wise man who built his house on the rock. The rain came down, the streams rose, and the winds blew and beat against that house, yet it did not fall, because it had its foundation on the rock. But everyone who hears these words of mine and does not put them into practice is like a foolish man who built his house on sand. The rain came down, the streams rose. And the winds blew and beat against that house, and it fell with a great crash. In other words, Jesus' words have great authority. Our eternal destiny depends on whether or not we listen to his words. So, practically speaking, then, the authority of the Bible is really, really important. It means that God's words must not simply be heard or received or read, but listened to and believed and trusted and obeyed. When God says, Repent and believe in Jesus, It's not just a polite invitation that we can take or leave. It's a command that comes with authority. So, too, when Jesus says, Give up everything and follow me, it's not enough for us simply to hear that. We actually need to do it. So, the Bible is God's authoritative word, and we need to listen. But it's also important to say that all the Bible is God's authoritative word. In the last episode of Thinking Theology, We looked at 2 Timothy 3, verses 14 to 17, and there Paul says that all Scripture was breathed out by God through the Holy Spirit. All of it was written down by God for us. What's more, Paul says that all of it is useful for teaching, rebuking, correcting, and training in righteousness. In other words, there's no part of the Bible which is not God's word. And if all of it is God's word, then all of it carries the authority of God. All of it needs to be listened to. In Matthew chapter 5, Jesus says, Do not think that I have come to abolish the law or the prophets. I have not come to abolish them, but to fulfill them. For truly I tell you, until heaven and earth disappear, not the smallest letter, not the least stroke of a pen will by any means disappear from the law until everything is accomplished. Therefore." Anyone who sets aside one of the least of these commands and teaches others accordingly will be called least in the kingdom of heaven, but whoever practices and teaches these commands will be called great in the kingdom of heaven. Not the smallest letter or the least stroke of a pen will disappear from the law or the prophets. Jesus is saying that everything that had been written in the Old Testament wouldn't pass away but would be fulfilled in him. Of course. Jesus is talking about the Old Testament, but if that's true of the Old Testament, then how much more true is that of Jesus' words in the New Testament and the Apostles' words in the New Testament? In fact, what's particularly interesting about the book of Hebrews that we considered briefly before is that for a book so concerned with people listening to Jesus, it has a surprising number of Old Testament quotes and Old Testament references. The first chapter is almost entirely made up of quotes from the Old Testament, and that continues through the whole book. Hebrews is arguably all about the Old Testament. It's about Moses, about the Sabbath, about Aaron and the priests, about Old Testament sacrifices, about Old Testament laws, about Old Testament believers. But the reason it's so concerned with the Old Testament is because to pay attention to the message about Jesus is to pay attention to the message of the Old Testament. To pay attention to the message about Jesus is to pay attention to the whole Bible, because as we keep discovering, the whole Bible is about Jesus. The Bible is God's authoritative word, and all the Bible is God's authoritative word. We don't get to pick and choose what we want to keep and what we want to throw away. Thomas Jefferson, one of the founding fathers of America, did precisely that, though. He produced his own version of the Bible, where He'd taken out all the bits that he didn't like, and it became known as the Jefferson Bible. He actually took a razor and cut out the pages he liked and then glued them into his own book. And, in fact, that Bible was only recently republished. The Church Father Augustine, though, was smart enough to realize where that kind of approach led. He wrote, To believe what you please and not to believe what you please is to believe yourselves and not the gospel. To determine which bits of the Bible you listen to and which bits of the Bible you won't listen to is to make yourself the ultimate authority and not God. So the Bible is God's authoritative word, and we need to listen, and all of the Bible is God's authoritative word. But not only is the whole Bible God's authoritative word, only the Bible is God's authoritative word. We looked at that idea back in episode 4, but it's worth quickly recapping it again. The best example of that principle, as we saw in episode 4, is in Mark chapter 7, verses 1 to 13. There Jesus gets into a dispute with the religious leaders because he wasn't following their traditions. At that point, Jesus says to them, You have let go of the commands of God and are holding on to human traditions. They were putting their own ideas above God's ideas, and the result was that they were actually abandoning God's ways. Jesus even says to them in verse 13 of Mark 7, that they are nullifying God's word by their traditions. Their traditions are actually undoing God's words. Traditions in themselves are not wrong. What's wrong is when those things replace the Bible and God's plan of salvation in Jesus Christ. I remember Philip Jensen, the former dean of the Anglican Cathedral in Sydney, saying that if someone comes to him and says, I think you should wear your robes because the pattern of the robes matches so nicely with the columns in the cathedral, then he'll say, great, what a good idea. But if someone comes and says, you must wear these robes in order to function as a minister, then he won't do it. It's not having traditions which is evil, but it's having traditions that overtake the gospel which is evil. There's lots of different ways that that can happen, and different Christian traditions are prone to doing that in different ways. Peter Adam, in his book Written for Us, notes a number of ways that people add things to the gospel and to God's word. So the Roman Catholic Church accepts the Bible and then adds to it the traditions of the church to form one word of God. Some conservative evangelical Christians tend to add the middle-class culture and attitudes of the 1920s, to the Bible without noticing what they're doing. Some Pentecostal churches accept the Bible and add to it some recent words from the Spirit. Legalistic evangelicals expand the Bible by adding some useful rules about how we should behave. Many denominations hold to their cherished denominational traditions even more firmly than they hold to the Bible. Liberal Christians hold on to the recent insights from current thought, even when they contradict the Bible. Many congregations hold to their cherished traditions even more firmly than they hold to the Bible. And many Christian subcultures unconsciously add to the Bible their own assumptions and prejudices. To that list, I'd probably also add that many Christians hold to the views of their favourite writer, preacher, theologian, or whoever, more than they hold to the Bible. But I love what Archbishop Cranmer wrote in the 16th century, Let us diligently search for the well of life in the books of the New and Old Testament, and not run to the stinking puddles of men's traditions devised by man's imagination for our justification and salvation. So the Bible is God's authoritative word, and therefore we need to listen to what he says to us in it, and all the Bible and only the Bible is God's authoritative word to us. But finally, it's important to think a little bit about the apparent problem of looking to the Bible to work out whether we should listen to the Bible, or looking to the Bible to establish its own authority. That seems like a circular argument. It's a bit like if you asked me, why should I listen to you? And I say, well, because I told you to listen to me. As Peter Adam notes, the Reformed theologian Martin Bucer realized that authority is not something that we grant, but something that is recognized. Buster used the example of recognising a coin is valid currency. Our recognising that the coin is valid doesn't do anything to the coin. Rather, we recognise something that the coin intrinsically has, something that is intrinsically true about the coin. The same is true of a book on gardening. We don't make a book on gardening an authority on gardening. We recognise that it's an authority on gardening as we use it and test it and put it into practice and see that it works. It's the same with a person. If you meet a person for the first time, you can't know whether or not that person is trustworthy or reliable. But the more you listen to them, the more you get to know them, the more you can know whether or not that person is trustworthy and reliable and knowledgeable. The same was true of Solomon's wisdom, say, in the Old Testament. God gave Solomon great wisdom as a gift, and that Wisdom was recognized by the people around him. The Queen of Sheba came to hear Solomon because she'd heard about his incredible wisdom that had come from God. So too, when God gave his people his laws in Exodus, he said that those laws were such that people would look at those laws and the wisdom and the righteousness of those laws and say, surely this great nation is a wise and understanding people. That is, people would look at those laws and recognize the goodness, the trueness, and the authority of those laws. The same thing happened to Jesus when he spoke in Matthew 7. When Jesus finished the Sermon on the Mount, we read, The crowds were amazed at his teaching because he taught as one who had authority and not as the teachers of the law. How could they tell that Jesus had authority just by listening to him? They could tell because his words made sense. They were profound, they were sensible, they worked, they made sense of the world we find ourselves in. Jesus' authority was not something that his listeners granted to him, but something that they recognized. And what was true of Jesus' words on that day is true of God's words about Jesus in the whole Bible. So, how can we know whether the words in the Bible are really the authoritative words of God? We can know by listening to His words and putting them into practice and testing them and seeing that they are God's authoritative words. We can't judge whether God is trustworthy or not without first listening to His words in the Bible, and we actually can't test God's words either by merely reading the Bible and thinking about it. We need to listen to God's words in the Bible and put those words into practice. And as we do that, we'll see that they are reliable. When we do listen to God's words in the Bible and put them into practice, we'll discover that they are authoritative words, that they speak with authority on the world, because we discover them to be reliable and true historically, psychologically, and experientially. The Bible is the word of God written for His people, by His Spirit, about His Son Jesus. And all those words in the Bible, and nothing but those words in the Bible— is God's authoritative word to humanity. And those words demonstrate to us their own authority. But most importantly, because they are God's authoritative words, we need to listen to them and put them into practice. First of all, by turning from sin and placing our trust in Jesus. If you want to think more deeply about this topic, I highly recommend, again, Peter Adams' book, Written for Us. You'll find the link to that in the description. But that's it for this episode. Next time on Thinking Theology, we'll be thinking about another characteristic of the Bible that is, the Bible's clarity, or for the word nerds, its perspicuity. Please join me then.